Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. We're going to start this week doing what we did last week, and that is we're going to read the Scripture together out loud. So uh, I want to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is in the New Living Translation, so it'll be up on the screen. And I want to ask you to heartily read this with me, if you would. So let's begin right now. Then God said... Let us make human beings in our image to be like us, to be like us. Think about that. That's such a profound text of Scripture. The God who spoke everything into being wanted to make us be His image bearers, that we might be like Him. Amen? David Brooks, in his book, The Social Animal, writes this, the 19th century English poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge described how his three-year-old son awoke in the night and cried out to his mother, touch me, only touch me with your finger, the young boy pleaded. The child's mother was astonished. Why, she asked. I'm not here, the boy cried. Touch me, mother, so I may be here. Author Donald Miller quoted this story and then observed, essentially like the boy, we are all calling out for God to touch us so that we may know we are here. And yet he waits and we go untouched and seek out knowing that we exist in a thousand other ways. It's like that song from the 70s, remember? Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. You know that song? Any of you know that song? Okay. Yeah. The younger generation's like, dudes, dudes, dudes in trouble. Okay. You know, there's something really profound about our need as human beings to be in relationship with one another so that we might know who we are. Right? I mean, the reality is, is knowing God will reveal who we are. You know, a lot of people go searching for themselves, and I joke around all the time, looking for yourself is a dead-end road because you probably won't find yourself, but if you go looking for God, you'll find yourself, right? That because as human beings, we are identified as being the image bearers of God, and when we find God, we really discover who we are. But it's true of human relationships as well. You know, we, we talk all the time about the fact that there are vertical relationships, that's between us and God, and there are horizontal relationships. And in order for us to be fully human and be the people God's created us to be, both of those relationships need to be rightly aligned. And that's why when human beings are out of relationship with God and there hasn't been reconciliation through the cross of Jesus Christ, human relationships go wrong. Things this way go wrong. And we need both in order to be fully who God created us to be. We can't be fully human. We won't even really know who we are unless we first are made right with God. And then after that, we have to figure out these relationships. And when Jesus came and died on the cross, he came to reconcile us to himself and to each other. That's the beauty of the cross. The message and the ministry of reconciliation is both. Amen. And sometimes we just need a touch from others and from God to know that we're, we're real, we exist. Um, I, I shared a story years ago, it's a very sad story, and I don't mean to go you know, dark and deep here, but 
of a man who woke up in San Francisco, California one morning and decided that life wasn't worth living. He wrote a suicide note, and in the suicide note he said these words, if somebody will just say hello to me and look at me, I won't take my life. And then he walked to the Golden Gate Bridge, and the whole time he walked to the Golden Gate Bridge, he was waiting for somebody to acknowledge him, and nobody looked at him, and nobody said hello. And he, he took his own life. And when the suicide note was found, you know, the, the, the family, people that found it were just like, what in the world? He needed to know he was seen. He needed to know that he had value. He needed to know that somebody else in the world recognized that he was worth life, right? And it's the same with us. I mean, if you think about it, we need to know we're seen. We need to know that we're valued. We need to know that we're recognized. That's, that's why I, I share with you last week, you know, in, in South Africa, when you, when you go to greet somebody, you say, you say sawubona, and, and it means, I see you. I see you. And, and there's something so profound about seeing others and them recognizing they've been seen and known. It, it gives us value. It lets us know we're human beings. Amen. We're going to continue today to look at God's design for relationships. And we're going to go back to the beginning, as I shared last week, that if we really want to know God's intention for something, we go back to the original design. We look at the blueprints, right? We, we find out the way things were really meant to be by looking at the original intention of God. We're going to look in the book of Genesis. We're going to look at what relationships are designed by God to be like. And we're going to continue to see that we, all of us in this room, are created for relationships. So I want to review real quickly where we were last week. Last week, we talked about the fact that in the beginning, God is a relationship. And I share with you the idea that God isn't just in a relationship, but before he made anything, before he made a single angel, before he made a planet or a moon or a star or anything in creation, before he created the earth and human beings, God just was. And God wasn't an individual who was out there alone, you know, a lonely God who's like, I got to make stuff because I need some friends. That wasn't God's nature. God was Trinity. God was three persons in one essence in an eternal relationship, and the Son was in the bosom and the face of the Father, and the Holy Spirit, some theologians say the Holy Spirit is the result of the beautiful union and communion that the Father and the Son have. So there's just this, this ongoing, as C.S. Lewis called it, the dance of the Trinity, the connectedness of God. God was forever a relationship, and we learn that His name, Elohim, means that He is both singular and plural. That name is, is a word that can be defined singularly, singularly and plurally. And then we learn that God is Trinity or triune relationship. He's one God in three persons. He's the pulsating life of Trinity and he's his own community. And then we also in that, that particular point learn that God is a loving relationship that must create relational creatures. So why did God create, create male and female and then they come together and out of their union comes children and what we call family? Why did that happen? Because God himself is a relationship. And this God who is a relationship must create even himself after his own kind. So we reflect his nature and his character in marriage and family and our sexuality. All those things are reflected. And then we also learn that in the beginning, this God speaks, he sees and he names us. One of the ways we legitimize the value of another in relationship is to see them. 
and to say to them, right? We, we saw in the first chapter of Genesis, God said, and it happened. He said, and we learned that Jesus is the word. And right there in creation, as the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, the Father spoke, the Son went to work, and the Holy Spirit was over and in it all, bringing forth creation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit creating out of the nature of God. And eight times God said, and it happened, he said, he said. He's the communicating God. He's the speaking God. And then we learned that God sees, right? When, when we see someone, we recognize someone, and we recognize it's good. He said, it says he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He looked upon it and saw the inherent goodness in it. Why? Because it came out of him. And then he called it by name, and he calls us by name. To call someone by name is relationship. I shared with you last week my relationship with my wife, right? We, generally speaking, we, we talk in pet names, right? We're hanging around the house and, hey, hon, how you doing? What's going on over there? But when Peggy goes, Doug, I go, Whoop. yes, Peggy. And we know we're on, it's on right there, right? We're going to talk about some stuff. And, and don't even go using somebody's middle name. And I told you last week that's kind of a problem in our house because Doug is my middle name, so... A lot of you didn't know that, right? So to call someone by name is to recognize the identity behind the name, right? We know that in the Hebrew culture, when you named one of your children, there was a prophetic element to it. You were kind of naming them after what you wanted their character to be and what it would become, right? And it's the same way with God. Everything he names is attached to what he wants it to become. Well, this week we're going to look at this fact. And this reality, that in the beginning, God created humans for relationship. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, this is the original creation account of God making human beings in the first chapter of Genesis. Remember, this is at the end of the sixth day. This is God's magnum opus, his great work. That's what that word, those, that phrase means. It's God saying, right now, I'm going to show you the very top and the best of my creation. I'm going to show you my image, right? Remember, God told, think about this, God told human beings, don't make any images, right? I don't want you to have idols. I, why? Because God already made an image. It was us, right? So he said, don't distort anything because I already made my image. It's you. So don't go making images. Okay, so let's read it here. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, over all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Amen. So let's look at this text. Let's, let's break it down a little bit. And the first thing I want you to notice is that God said, let us make human beings in our image. What's that word image mean? The English Standard Bible, the, the commentary, and it says this, traditionally the image of God has been seen as the capacities that set humanity apart from the other animals. Ways in which humans resemble God, such as in the characteristics of reason, morality, language, a capacity for relationships governed by love and commitment, 
and creativity in all forms of art. So think about that. When we read a really good book that just captivates us, when we look at a painting that's so beautiful and, and, and you know, causes us to have to really take time to reflect on it, when we hear music that moves us, you know, I, I love music. I love music across pretty much all genres. And I, I'm moved by music. And there are times, and you've probably experienced this too, where I've been caught up in a song. You ever been caught up in a song where you're so caught up in a song, got the goosebumps going, and, and you just kind of get transported and you realize music is powerful. I, uh, I was telling, you know, the, the first service that years ago when I was reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I was really getting caught up in it and I was sitting on the sofa in our house and I was reading and I was reading and I'd been there for a couple of hours and I couldn't put it down and I knew I had to so I could go on with my day and do some other things and actually be you know, a functioning human being. And I remember I, I, was just, I was caught up in that story and I set it aside and I remember I lifted my head and I, I found myself like, oh yeah, this is the world I live in. Because I was in the Middle Earth, and I was hanging out with Frodo and the ring, and it was real. And I want you to think about that, the powerful ability a human being has to create a world with characters, and these are all fiction characters in a fictional world. This isn't real, but you find yourself, you're going along with them. I was on my way to Mount Doom, and the weight of it all was heavy on me. It was real. What is that? That's the image of God being revealed. And here's the beautiful thing. Even people that don't follow God, people that don't even believe that God exists are the image bearers of God. And the things that they create often move us and they still have the marks, the fingerprints of God upon them. God's image bearers are everywhere. It's powerful when you think about it, how you can be moved by something transported by something. That's an evidence of the reality of God. Secondly, God created male and female in His image. Male and female reveal the nature of God. Male and female give us a glimpse into the relationship of God within the Trinity. Children and family further expand upon that revelation. We cannot see God clearly through a merely male filter. God's image is seen most clearly through the beauty of male and female in right relationship with God and each other. We were created for relationship first with God and secondly with each other. And we have to understand the beauty of God creating men and women and saying, see, see, here's what happened is God made a man and the word Adam means mankind. It actually means dirt. It means mud. And the ladies are like, yeah, there it is. So, and, and then from Adam, mankind, God pulled, and we'll get into this in a few minutes, and made a woman. And, and, and then Adam called her woman. He didn't call her Eve. Have you ever noticed this before? Eve was not her name. Eve became her name after the fall. And it looks as though God named her Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Doesn't it say that or does it say Adam made her, named her Eve? But she was the mother of all the living. But before that, she was woman, another part of man, right? And the two of them together reflected the image of God. They were to lead together. They were to be co-regents over creation. And God blessed them. And He said to them, be fruitful and multiply. 
God blessed them and said. You ever notice this? He blessed them and said. The blessing of God contains within it the power to create what is spoken. When God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, they were given the power to multiply God's image on earth. God wants his relationship image spreading in creation. He wants it multiplied. And I want you to notice that God blessed them and said, back to the speaking element and why this is so important. Listen, men and women, those of us who are maybe less emotional or less expressive, your children, your family, your spouse, the people around you that mean something to you, they need to hear your blessing. They need you to say it. Do you hear me? They need you to say it. Your spouse needs you to hear, needs to hear, I love you. You might say, well, my personality is more doing. I demonstrate my love. I'm challenging that. I'm saying maybe that's your tendency, but people still need to hear it. When God blessed, he, he spoke the blessing. We see Jacob gathering his 12 sons around him in Israel. And he begins to bless them and he declares over them the prophetic destiny of each. And through his words, as he speaks that into them, they become those very things he speaks. It's powerful. The Father's blessing, the necessity of blessing, the necessity of saying over people, you mean something to me, you're important to me, I see these qualities in you, I see these good things about you. The the power of encouragement, the power of recognizing those unique qualities qualities and characteristics in people that make them lovable, that make them important. We need to say it. Not just think it, to say it. Amen. So, so, so think about this. He, he said, let us make human beings in our image. He creates male and female to show forth his image. He blesses them and he says, be fruitful and multiply, and they do. And then that takes us to the account of the creation of humanity in Genesis 2. And I want you to see this. Genesis 2, verse 7, 18, and then 20 through 25. Let's go back into this story. And um, some scholars say this is just a a more in-depth retelling of the original creation. Others say that this is, you know, something maybe different or unique. I think it's just a retelling, but let's look at it. Verse 7, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Verse 20, he gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. This is Adam, but there was still no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So looking at this, I just want you to notice several things. The first thing I want you to notice is that God's breath gave us life and personhood. You can almost see God, you know, taking the man, and he's taking dust and 
you know, the earth is being watered and he's making mud, right? And he begins to form and shape this man physically to represent even those things in his own nature, even though he is spirit. And then he takes the man and he, he breathes into him. And theologians bring this idea out that there are two kinds of life that God originally intended for human beings, two kinds of life. The first kind of life is spiritual life, the Greek word zoe. The second kind of life is bios life. It's the Greek word where we get biology, right? The physical life, that thing that moves through our blood that animates us. And most theologians believe, and I would agree with this, that at the fall when Adam and Eve sinned, the Zoe life inside of humanity was severed from God. Because see, God, the Zoe life that was in humanity was connected directly to God. And so Adam and Eve had this fellowship, this lifeline, this umbilical cord of life directly from God. But when they sinned and they turned from God, a severing of that connection happened. And that's why even there they began to physically die. They eventually died biologically too. Because Zoe life feeds in to human life. And that's why Jesus indicated that we'll have eternal life when we're born again. And what's eternal life? It's not just living forever. It's living in God's life that ultimately leads to forever because God's forever, right? And so what happened at the fall, mankind sins and this severing of this relationship happens, but it all came about because God went and breathed into Adam that Zoe and biological life, and we, we were alive, right? God's breath gave us life and personhood. And then God determined that it wasn't good for us to be alone. I like that. Adam recognized it. God determined it. It's not, it's not good to be alone. And I want to interpret this in a broader way. I want to look at this not just in the relationship between men and women, though that's the, first in, that's the first application, but I want to apply it a little bit differently. I want to apply it broadly in all human relationships. And I want to say to you, it's not good for us to be alone. Wait, I'm going to say that again. It's not good for us to be alone. We need each other. Human beings are created for connections with one another and with God. First and foremost, God. Secondly, with each other. We need each other. Isolation is not the way we were created. We weren't made to be alone. We were made to be with others. That's just the way it is. It's not good to be alone. We're not fully human alone. We need other humans to be fully human. We need others to even be ourselves. I'm going to tell you, when I, when I isolate too much or I'm not in regular connection with people, I start to get in a pretty bad place, and I don't see myself right, and I don't see others right, and I don't see the world right, so I need other people to help me be myself. Amen? It's really important at the time we live. In the last couple of years, a lot of people have been isolated. How many of you know when people get isolated, they go bad? Stuff goes bad, right? It's interesting, according to a recent 2017 article in Rolling Stone magazine, I know that all of you love that magazine, tech entrepreneur Elon Musk has it all except love. Musk is one of the only people in the world who has started four separate billion-dollar companies. Think about that. And by the way, 
We know now he's the richest man in the world. He's past Jeff Bezos from Amazon. He's the wealthiest man on earth. But what does it mean? After his divorce to his ex-wife Justine and his breakup with his actress girlfriend, Musk has no one with whom to share his luxurious lifestyle. The 46-year-old Musk said this, being in a big empty house and no footsteps echoing through the hallways, no one over there. How do you make yourself happy in a situation like that? He added, when I was a child, there was one thing I said, I never want to be alone. And then he whispered again, I never want to be alone. See, we weren't created to be alone. It's not good for human beings to be alone. And then we notice that God determined that we need a helper who's just right for us. God created male and female to complement each other and complete the image of God we are to reflect to creation. God showed us we need help to be who we were made to be. We can only accomplish our life work with the help of relationships. And, and this is why it's so important. Listen, there's a myth in America. It's called the myth of the self-made man or woman. That's a mythology. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a self-made person. Even the people that we look up to that are so-called self-made people, the Elon Musks of the world, they're counting on everybody else doing their job to give them success. Every one of us need help. And this isn't just in marriage, even though it's really true in marriage. But we need help. I need you. You need me. You might not even like me, but you need me. And I need you. We need one another. We need the input. We need the eyesight. I need people who got my back and got my blind spot, who can see what I can't see, who can give me a perspective I don't have, who come at it from an angle that's different from mine. I need that kind of input because if I'm left to myself, I begin to believe that I'm the only one who really has life figured out and has truth. And that's the biggest lie. We need each other. We need help. We, think about it, we really need help to do just about anything. We think we don't, but if you begin to really look at your life and understand how many other things you're counting on just to survive. I mean, think about your house, right? You, you, you're sitting in your house and you're counting on the fact that you got electricity and the air conditioning's coming on and people work to make all that happen. Somebody built that house and put all that in it. And there are people working at PUD and other places. They're keeping the electricity going, right? And, and without all of that stuff, you start to get cold. Without people, you know, out there farming our farms and bringing us food and truck drivers transporting it across the coast. Without all these things, all of our lives are dependent upon others. We need help. And without that help, what happens to us? We start to shrivel up, especially in this time, right? Most of us have never farmed. We wouldn't know how to. I definitely don't have a green thumb. I need all kinds of help, and so do you. We need help. And so God created a helper from our own substance. The woman was like the man but different. How many of you men have recognized that? They're different, aren't they? Women, they're different. How many of you women have recognized that dude's different? The whole view of the world, how you approach the input that comes through your eyes and into your mind. And we need that in one another. We desperately need I need my wife's view. 
I've got to hear the way she sees things. I've got to hear her heart. I need it to be able to see things more clearly, right? And from our own substance, bone of my bones, flesh of my fle- flesh. And that's why when we treat each r- other wrongly in marriage or any other relationships, we really strike against ourselves and our own humanity because we strike against the image of God. I was sharing with the first service, this is why, this is why I at times was so sad and, and, and grieved over the past couple of years because I watched Christians who are followers of Jesus and called to represent the character of Jesus. I, I watched Christians treat other Christians and other people in ways that have nothing to do with the nature of God. I saw people cursing each other, name-calling each other, categorizing everybody. If you can get everybody in their little category, you can find reasons to scapegoat them. You can find reasons to hate them. If you make people out to be the evil enemy who's destroying everything and they become the enemy and you focus upon them and you make them the scapegoat, you can do anything to them and justify it. And that's what we've been seeing in our culture. Everybody's polarized and getting in their own camps and calling everyone else the enemy and the bad guy. And that's where evil is. And we know the scripture says you don't wrestle with flesh and blood. You're not wrestling against human enemies, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. We know we have an enemy that is unseen. And he's, if he can divide and conquer, he wins. And our job as Christians is to be like Jesus. And literally, if it means die for our enemies, which he did for us, we die for our enemies, loving them, not hating them, scapegoating them, and trying to bring them down. And so the last couple years, I found myself just really, really saddened by what I've seen in God's people and justifying it because I'm on the side of right and they're wrong. So I'm right, they're wrong, therefore whatever I say or do is okay. No, it's not. It's not the spirit of Christ, it's the spirit of Antichrist. It's not the nature of God, it's the nature of the devil. It's evil. Call it what it is. It's evil to vilify and demonize other human beings who are image bearers of God. And so it's so important for us to recognize that relationships are what we were made for and we have to have one another and we even have to have people who are different or even opposed or even if we think their whole viewpoint is wrong, they're still humans. They're image bearers. They're worthy of respect and honor and dignity just because they're human even if their belief systems are completely out in left field. And what's our call? to love our enemy and lay down our life for him and pray for those who persecute us. And that's what the scripture calls us to. That's love. If you only love those who agree with you, Jesus said you're no different than the pagans. Right? But if you love those who oppose you, wow, now you're showing the nature and the character of God. You're being like God. Powerful. And then Adam recognized that the woman was to be valued and honored as his equal. Think of his words. He goes, What's he say? I love, he says in, in, this, in, in this particular translation, he says, at last. I always joke, uh, I used to joke in weddings I did, and then my kids said, Dad, you got to stop using that. It's the worst. But I'm going to share it with you anyway. But you know what Adam said when he first saw Eve, right? Whoa, man. And that's where she got her name, whoa, man. Yeah. Right. Sorry, it's really bad, I know, right? Yeah, that's what happened. That's, that's, that's what happened. It says it right there. He looked at her and he, whoa, man. Okay, sorry. You can see why my kids were like, Dad, stop it. 
just stop it. Okay. See, he looks at her and he says, at last, she's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That speaks of an intimate connection and equality. He names her woman as his co-equal. This is not just in marriage, but in every relationship and setting. It's so important for us to recognize that we need one another, male and female. It's, it's really important that we recognize this because in Genesis chapter 3, what happens? Right after Adam and Eve fall and, and, and they go through sin and, and, and God comes to them, he curses the serpent, and then he tells them what the world's going to be like now after the fall. And one of the things he indicates is going to happen is men and women are going to be in a battle of the sexes. He says it right there. He says men are going to dominate and women are going to seek to get control. He says it right there in the third chapter. Go read it. Go look at the original Hebrew. So what's he show us? He shows us that something happened in that intimate connection, that bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh relationship. Sin came into the world and distorted it. So what does Christ do? Christ comes to reconcile it and to heal it and to remove those barriers so there's no longer domination and manipulation. There's no longer trying to get control and controlling. It comes down and in Christ we become one and we recognize we're co-regents and co-heirs together and we're to rule and reign on planet earth together. Boom. That's the way God intended. We're to complement one another. Complementary, right? Okay. I'm almost done. And lastly, men and women are different yet designed to be reunited as one. I just said that. It's profound that God created woman out of man to be an individual and then brought them together to become one again in a chosen act of marriage love. We must choose each other to become one as God intended. God's image is expressed through us in our relationships with one another. And we see, you know, isn't it interesting that woman came out of man and then through birth, man comes out of woman, right? And God just, he makes, it, he makes us completely interconnected to each other. We have to be together to be all that God's created us to be. We can't become God's intention without each other. Male, female, family, relationships, friendships, we need each other desperately. And when we enter into that, we find what we were made for. We find our intended purpose from God. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May the Lord be gracious to you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom in your home. Go with God. He goes with you. God bless you.